right, guys, good evening. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to start there tonight. Ephesians chapter 2. <clears throat> All right, let's pray together, shall we? Father, I pause before I speak to you, for you are God. To try to make much of you is a task that no human being can do. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, that you, would, that you would do a great work. Father, I pray that you would draw people to Jesus tonight. And Holy Spirit, I pray you would convict of sin. Father, I pray for those who, they don't know you, that tonight they would surrender to your lordship. And for those who do, those who love you, God, help us love you more. God, do a great work. Do a work that's unmistakably you. God, we give you this time. We commit it to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone who agrees says, amen. Yesterday in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4, we looked at two words. That's kind of where I left you. But God, that by nature we're objects of God's wrath because of our sin and rebellion against God. But God, that while, I'm still, while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. See, it's while I was still this against God, but God. And just a side note for just a second. For those of you that are going through something that's so hard and it's so difficult like it's something that you've never gone through before. And you don't know what to do with it. And you're wondering, is there any hope? Two words for you. But God. But God. Like, yeah, but I've been waiting. I know. Friends, we have to remember that the way that God answers and the way that God works, it's not according to what we design and what we desire. It's based upon his plan and his will, and his plan and his will is always good, and it's always perfect. And friends, we may not like how it is that he bends and shapes. We, might, we may not like the times in our life where it burns and it hurts, but we have to trust that the great craftsman is doing a work in us that we never even imagined would happen. Friends, we don't grow during times of comfort and yet we all like to be comfortable, right? Those aren't the times that we grow in the likeness of Jesus. It's during those times that are difficult. And so we can pray, God, I pray, would you take this away? And if he decides not to, and it's not immediate, then we remember, just like other saints who have gone before us, who have waited on the Lord to do something, we join them and say, okay, but God, then your kingdom come and your will be done. And all I'm going to tell you is this, that maybe it doesn't change right now. It doesn't change today or tomorrow. It doesn't change in a week. But God. And you keep hanging with them and you keep walking with them. 
Because in all of it, good or bad, high or low, mountaintop experience or valley, God's ultimate desire from cover to cover, if, we, if, I, if I could tweet the totality of scripture into one tweet, it's this, God with us that we might be with him. You walk with the Lord, high or low, no matter what, difficult or easy, God with us that we might be with him, but God, and look what he says, but God being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show, now watch the word, the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And then it's a verse or a few verses that if you've been brought up in the church, this is one of the main ones. For by grace you've been saved. Because you know what grace is? It's getting something you don't deserve. An example is your birthday. It's my birthday. I get the gifts. You know who should get the gifts? My mom. She did all the work. Right? She did everything. I didn't do anything. I just plopped out. I just showed up crying, complaining. Right when I showed up, she did all the work, but on my birthday, I get the gifts. Have I ever changed that? Have I ever said, hey, on this day, mom gets the gifts? No, probably should. I'm not sure I need any more things. But that's, that's like, I don't deserve this. I didn't do anything. When the scriptures say that God's grace is immeasurable, the immeasurable riches of his grace, there's no limit to his grace. For by grace you've been saved or rescued. Kind of like that story I told about the lifeguards who had to save all my kids out of the ocean because they were sucking them out to eat them. Remember? They had no idea they were being sucked out. And all these people showed up. The Australian hot stud shows up and rescues them. They, had, they could do nothing. They, go out, they went out and rescued and brought them back in. For by grace you've been saved through faith. So what's Faith. Almost everyone in the room is practicing faith. You sat down and you believe this will hold me. Have you, <laughs> has anyone ever sat in a chair and broke it? Is there anything more humiliating than that? <laughs> Guys, it's like, I remember I was, I was, I was at some, I was at, I don't remember where I was at. I remember I was at this thing and there was a campfire. So it was some camp out that was with a church and I was speaking for them. And I didn't have a, I forgot to bring a chair, and I was fine. I was just standing there, and the person came over, and they, they said, no, you can sit in this one. And it was one of those tiny little fold-out ones. Friends, I'm a big boy. And so when they brought it, I was like, oh, no, 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 that's not fine. You can have it. No, no, no. And they kept, no, you sit here. You sit here. And they kept, they kept kind of forcing it. And I'm like, God, I really don't want to, because I know it's going to happen. This is your practical joke on me. So they kept pushing. I was like, okay. So I sat down, but I kept one foot underneath me the whole time. But the only problem is that my legs start shaking. Like I'm sweating. Everyone's just having a nice time. I'm like <laughs> sweating. I can barely because I'm holding my whole body up with one calf. So then I was like, I can't do anymore. Okay, I'll just trust it. I mean, they wouldn't have given this if they knew. Maybe this is one of those chairs that holds like 7,000 pounds. So I'm moving, I'm just sitting there, it's like, oh, okay, bam, I'm on my back, my feet are up in the air, and they're like, oh, we're so sorry, of course there's people on the side laughing, and I jacked them up later, I'm just joking, but 
So they helped me out. And they're like, oh, come, we're so sorry. We're so sorry. Here, you can sit here. And they brought out another one, exactly the same as the last one. I'm like, have we not learned? I don't believe this will hold me. Guys, every single one of you are practicing faith unless you're standing up. Faith is this. Belief plus action equals faith. If you have faith, it will cause you to act upon it. Like you will do something. For by grace you've been saved. Through faith. And this, when he says this, what's he referring to? This faith, this faith, not of yourselves, that faith is the gift of God. Guys, think about it. Everything necessary for us to be brought into relationship with God through Jesus is provided by God. By grace you've been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. Not by works. It's not Jesus plus that saves you. It's not Jesus plus that saves me. Not by works, why? So no one can boast. I don't get to stand before people go, hey, look at my resume. Look what I've done. It doesn't matter. You know how freeing it is, though, to know that the things that I do for Jesus is because I love Jesus, not so that I can be loved by him. I do it because I'm loved and accepted by him. I'm in right relationship with him. I don't do those things so that I can be accepted by him. It's freeing. Guys, when you see two words but God, and it it ushers in this truth about the grace of God, And the salvation that is the gift of God by his grace and the faith necessary is the gift of God that he provides, that it's not by works. Why? Why would God make it all about himself? Because when it's all about himself, he always succeeds. He always accomplishes everything he wants. He leaves nothing to chance. Friends, yesterday we left off in Genesis chapter 3. Remember? They found out they're naked. That's weird. And in Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, it's one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. See, when God confronts them and he looks at the man, he says, well, at first he says, where are you? Because they, remember, they hid among the trees, which is pretty smart because they're wearing leaves, so like camouflage. It's like, he can't see me. It's like, Adam, where are you? And all of a sudden they come out, it's like, oh, we heard you walking in the garden and we knew that we were naked, so we were afraid. And God says, wait, 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 wait. Who told you you were naked? Guys, have ever, has anyone ever, ever had that oh no moment? Like you tried to lie to your parents, and then they found out, and then you knew they found out, and it's that oh no. And you can either just confess or keep it going. Guys, okay, my job Growing up in high school, my brother and I, our, our main chore, we had to clean the whole house every week. That was our, that was our chore. And I had to vacuum. Vac- I don't like to vacuum. I like to mow the lawn. I don't like to vacuum. I feel like there's some destruction with mowing the lawn. Vacuum, I'm like, what is this? Like, I don't understand. It leaves marks, but I don't, I don't care. And so I remember it was my job. I was like, why don't you trade with me? He's like, no, you do it. So I had to do the bathrooms and vacuum. But our vacuum then, it was... <laughs> I think it weighed like 17,000 pounds. I felt like I needed a crane to get it out of the closet. And I I hated vacuuming. But I had to make it look like I vacuumed. So here, here is the IQ of who they let speak to you 
at your winter camp. This is how I got away with it. Ready? So I pulled the vacuum out. I didn't plug it in because I'm not vacuuming. But then I went through the whole house because I needed to make the tracks. I'm like, <laughs> I'm getting away with it. Nobody, nobody's going to know. Look, I'm leaving tracks. I did the whole house. Thank you. Someone just said, Miles just plugged it in. Don't make me feel stupid. <laughs> I should have just plugged it in. I should have just done it. But I did. It's like, I'm getting away with it. Then mom, shows, mom comes home. Jeff knew. My brother Jeff knew I didn't do it, but he didn't say anything. Probably because he knew. You're an idiot. <laughs> so mom's walking, hey, the house looks great, guys. I'm like, oh, I got away with it. I got <laughs> And then she, she sees this spot where there's tracks over it, but the vacuum would have picked up the junk. And so she walks up and she's like, Brian, why don't you come over here? He's like, sure. And I walk over. She goes, how did the vacuum miss that? The tracks went right over it. Oh, no. She goes, you didn't vacuum, did you? I was like, no. I said, Mom, I hate vacuum. She goes, you didn't vacuum. Think about it. And then she said, Brian, did you take the vacuum out? Yeah. Did you do the whole house? Yes. Shouldn't you just plug it in? Right? I was like, you're right. And then I got punished because I'm stupid. So here comes God going, who told you you're naked? Oh, no. And then this is Adam, good old valiant, honorable husband of the year, Adam. He goes, he says this, the woman, <laughs> the woman is his wife, the woman, you, you gave me her, and she gave it to me and I ate, who did he actually, who did he blame, he actually blamed two he blames his wife, come on, step up, and then he blames God. The woman you gave me, this is your fault. Don't we do the same thing? Hey, it's not my fault. If I think this way or feel this way or want these things, not my fault, you did this. We still do the same thing, don't we? And then he looks at Eve. He says, Eve, what did you do? Devil, the serpent, the devil made me do it. Can you, can you picture the serpent just smiling? Yep, yep, I broke, I broke it. And God curses the serpent. God curses the woman, and God curses the man. Guys, it'd be a really short Bible if that's where it ended. Can you imagine if that's, God's like, okay, you're going to die right now physically at the end, Done. But in chapter 3, verse 21, watch this. It says, And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. One of my favorite verses in all the Bible. You sit there and go, what's in it? Oh, guys, look at this. Think about it. There's Adam and Eve covered in leaves. <laughs> These are our clothes. God curses the serpent, the woman, the man. And then he says, this isn't good enough. They didn't ask they didn't say, hey, can you make us better clothes? God initiated. What did God initiate? Friends, how do you get skin from an animal? How do you get, how do you get the skins from an animal? What do you have to do to the animal? You have to 
kill it. So is this not the first innocent thing that sheds its blood to cover the sin of two people who are guilty? Guys, do you realize that in chapter three, when we broke it, is the same chapter where God said, this is how I'm going to fix it. There's gonna come one who is innocent, whose blood will be shed. So I can give you what's called imputed righteousness. I can clothe you with my righteousness. That which is innocent will die, will shed his blood, so you can be covered and seen as righteous. All because of God's grace. Guys, isn't that amazing? When you look in the very beginning of the book, and do you realize that even though, even though chapter three happened, the fall happened, guys, the cross of Christ is not plan B. It's not like God's like, well, I tried plan A, it didn't work, so I'll go to plan B. Guys, Ephesians chapter one says this, around verse three or four. It says, before the foundation of the world, you were chosen in him. That means before God created anything, before God said, let there be light, before light exploded out of the mouth of God at 186,000 miles per second, he's already chosen you. The plan of salvation, there's always been one plan. There's always been a plan A. God knew it. And God has worked through all of it. God is sovereign over all of it. Guys, Genesis chapter 3, verse 21 points us to Jesus. Friends, everything changed when Jesus showed up. Some of you may sit there and go, I don't, I don't think Jesus is all that impressive. Think about it. The calorie system of the world is based on his birth. It's based, about, it's based on him coming. Everything is based on him. Guys, he walks on this planet for 33-ish years. We don't really know much about him until he hits about 30. We know what we see when he's 12. We don't really see much before that. He even shows up on, in his birth that really nobody even knows. The world has no clue that God decided to invade the planet with a body and be born, except some shepherds who are watching their flocks by night and those shepherds were probably the ones who were watching, they were probably watching some of the sheep or lambs who were being used in the sacrifices at the temple. So doesn't it, make, doesn't it make sense that when Jesus shows up, that the birth announcement should go to the ones who are watching over the lambs who will be slaughtered and sacrificed. The blood would be poured out for these sins and that blood won't even really truly bring forgiveness. But what it will do is point to what it is that Jesus will come and do. And then you see Jesus show up and he starts doing all these things and he starts saying all these things and now he's ticking off some religious leaders. But friends, he's healing the blind. He's giving hearing back to the deaf. He's feeding thousands of people with a little boy's lunch. He's walking on water. He's telling oceans and wind and waves and storms to shut up and it obeys. Guys, isn't it amazing that wind and waves and storms will obey the creator? Guys, do you realize the only thing on this planet and in this universe that will not automatically obey the creator is us? Everything else does except us. And so Jesus came. See, there's this point where he's, 
He knows he's about ready to take the cross. He's already had this last supper with his disciples. One of them, Judas, has already gone off to agree to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, pretty good chunk of change. And Jesus is now in the garden. He'd already told all of his disciples at dinner, hey, all of you are gonna desert me. You're all gonna leave me tonight. And Simon actually steps up and goes, no, 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 I won't. Even if all these other ones do, I won't do it. And Jesus actually looks at Simon Peter and says, oh, Simon, you're gonna, you're gonna be worse than they are. They're just gonna bolt, but you are gonna verbally deny knowing me three times before the rooster grows. He's like, nuh-uh, man, I would, I'd go to prison. I would die with you. I'll die with you. And I think he really meant it. So now Jesus is praying in the garden. His disciples come, but he takes the three, Peter, James, and John. He says, guys, I want you to pray. The Bible says he goes about a stone's throw away and he collapses to the ground. And he says, Father, take this cup from me, but not my will, your will be done. What is he saying? Guys, in the Old Testament, the cup is the picture of the wrath of God. And so what he's saying is, Father, take your wrath from me, but not my will, your will be done. And he comes back to his disciples and they're sleeping. And I used to judge them for it. I'm like, you little jerks. He said pray. You can tell he's kind of overwhelmed by something. And Peter, you just said that you would die with him. And so he says pray, and then he comes back. And can you imagine as he, as he wakes him up and Simon looks at him and Jesus looks back at Simon. He's like, you're going to die with me, but you can't stay awake with me? I used to judge him for it, but have, has anyone ever, you ever tried to pray after you get into bed? Not here at camp bed. I mean like in your bed. Like you get under the covers when it's cold, then you do the little wiggle, the little shimmy. You're like trying to find that spot. Like where is it, where is it, where? Boop, there it is. You're ready to go. And then you start to pray, dear Jesus, I just went, and then gone. So I get it. I've been there. But then he says, hey, guys, I, guys, I know the flesh is weak, but the spirit's one. you got to pray. The Bible says he goes to stones throw away, and he collapses the ground. He prays. He prays the same thing. Comes back. They're sleeping. Leaves them alone, goes back and he prays. And we think that that's all he said. Three times, they, we just think that he said that. But guys, John chapter 17 is his prayer in the garden. Where he's just calling out to the Father. Guys, the Bible tells us Luke is the only one who records this in his gospel. Why is he the only one? Because he's a doctor. And I think this, this intrigued him. He actually said that Jesus was experiencing, like he's sweating drops of blood. Guys, did you know that there's a medical condition when you are terrified of something, you have so much anxiety going on in you that you can actually experience what's called hematidrosis. It's when the capillaries in your forehead will burst and you will start to sweat blood. Jesus is terrified. He's terrified of the cross. He's terrified of what's to come. So much so that he's now sweating drops of blood. Can you see why? Can you see the agony is now as he's crying, Father, take your cup from me, but not my will. Your will be done. But guys, it's in John chapter 17 where we see Jesus say, this is what I want. Guys, every other time you see Jesus speaking about what he's doing on the planet. He's like, I only do the things I see the Father doing. I only say the things that I hear him saying. But here he says, Father, this is what I want. And he says something like this, Father, I want those that you have given to me to be with me where I am 
and to see me in all my glory. Guys, do you realize that in the garden, before he's going to go take the wrath of God and the cross, he's praying that he could have us. Father, I want those that you have given to me to be with me where I am and to see me in my glory. And then he's like, but take this cup from me, but not my will, your will be done. Like, what do you want, Father? And guys, we got to come back to John 3, 16. And I know we sit there and go, I already know that verse. Guys, if we're not moved by John 3, 16, we may know the verse, but the verse has not grabbed us. For God, the Father, God, so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever would believe in him, put their trust and faith in him, would not perish but have eternal life. Guys, it blows my mind that out of everything that Jesus could want, it's me. It's us. Guys, the writer of Hebrews tells us that who for the joy set before me, speaking about Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, What's the joy that's set before Jesus that he would endure the cross? It's us. He wants us. So can you imagine as he's crying that out, it says an angel came and ministered to him and I've never even thought about this. You ever wonder what the angel was thinking? You ever sit there, it's like the angel's sitting there going, what, what, and maybe like the father's like, go, go encourage him. What do you want me to tell him? And what if the angel had to give him the news? This is the will. Oh, wouldn't that be agony? And then Jesus gets up and he goes to his disciples and says, guys, get up. And he points in the distance and there's this little group of people that are coming. He says, my betrayer is at hand. They're like, betrayer, what? They all jump up and the other disciples kind of join in. They're looking and guess who's leading the charge? Judas, one of the 12. Friends, and you don't have to raise your hand on this. This is, I know it's kind of personal. But has anyone here ever been betrayed by someone you thought was super tight with you? And can I be honest? Jesus gets it. Guys, Jesus was betrayed by one of the three, by, I'm sorry, by one of the 12 guys who spent three years with him for 30 pieces of silver to hand him over so that they could kill him. Guys, he gets it. He understands it. So Judas is already putting this thing. He, gave, he told all the people that were with him, the, the, the guards that were with him, the temple guards, hey, the one that I kissed, that's the one. So as Judas comes up, do you know what Jesus calls Judas? As Judas comes up and kisses him on the cheek, you know what Jesus calls him? Friend. You, re you betray me with a kiss? And all of a sudden, the guards come up and they start to take hold of Jesus. You imagine the disciples going, oh, no, 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 this doesn't work. And all of a sudden, they get, start getting protective and it says that one of them was Simon Peter. He pulls out this sword and hacks off a dude's ear. Dude, <laughs> it just got real. But I'm like, his ear? Like, what were you going for? Like, you were... Were you just like a, like like one of the three musketeers, like spam? Who's next? Was that it, or is Simon Peter like? 
And is that why Jesus is like, oh, put it away, Peter, put it away. That's embarrassing, brother. That's horrible. The Bible says that Jesus then went over and picked up the dude's ear. I know. Went over to Malchus, Malchus is the guy's name, and puts it back on his head and heals him just like that. Guys, be honest. Why don't you put it on backwards? <laughs> like just, like now you can, oh, they're talking behind my back, I can hear you. <laughs> Guys, he goes up and heals the guy. Guys, this is Jesus. He's getting ready to take a cross, but in his mind, he's like, I gotta help this guy. And he heals him. And when they bind and arrest Jesus, all of his disciples bolt, just like he said they would. They all take off. Friends, can I ask you a question? You don't have to raise your hand. You ever gone through the really hard part of your life and all of your friends bolted, the ones you thought would stick around? Jesus gets it. He knows what it feels like. They take Jesus to the high priest's house and take him in the courtyard and they've set up this fake trial. We're gonna fast forward. Set up a fake trial. John gets Simon into there. As Simon walks in, a little servant girl walks up and says, you were with him. You're one of his disciples. And he goes, I don't know him. No, 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 you were with him. I saw you. I don't know him. I don't know the man. Another guy looks at him and says, no, 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 you were with him. And I, I can tell, I can tell by your accent. And then it's almost like Simon says, you know what? May God damn me, I don't know the man. And the rooster crowed. And he remembered the word, and the Bible says that Jesus, when he's sitting there, he, he looks straight up into the eyes of Simon Peter, and he glares into them. He just stares into them. Not angry, just stares into his eyes. And the Bible says that Simon ran away and wept bitterly. And keep, they keep this trial going, and high priest is asking Jesus questions, and Jesus answered, and then the guard comes up and smacks Jesus. And they were beating him all night, and they would blindfold him and then smack him, prophesy who hits you. And then at some point, the high priest just says, would you just tell us, are you the Messiah, are you the Christ? And Jesus pretty much paraphrased, says, you know what, it's as you say. And from this moment on, you will see the Son of Man. And he quotes the book of Daniel. You'll see the Son of Man coming on the clouds. And as he continues that speech, Caiaphas just tears his robe. He says, you know what? We don't need to hear anything. This is blasphemy. He deserves to die. And they take this vote of the, of the Sanhedrin who were there, and they all say, he needs to die. But they can't kill him. They can't do it. Rome won't allow it. So fast forwarding, they take him to Pilate. Pilate says, I want nothing to do with it. Send him to Herod. Herod's like a fake king. Take him to Herod. Herod's like, do a trick. Say something. Jesus pretty much stays silent the whole time. Doesn't do anything. I don't want to do with this. Send him back to Pilate. So now he's standing before Pilate. And as Pilate's asking him questions, Jesus isn't saying anything. Until at one point, Pilate says, do you not understand that I have the authority to release you? And then Jesus speaks up. And this is my paraphrase. When Pilate says, you, I have the authority to release you, Jesus goes, oh, Pilate. Dude, you are JV. Welcome to varsity. Dude, you got no play here. This has been placed this has been put into place before time began. You're a pawn. 
All authority comes from my Father. I mean, I could call down angels to rescue me. Like, this is not your play. Do you realize that from that moment on, Pilate tried to get him released? So religious leaders are accusing him. He's saying, oh, he's saying he's a king. He needs to die. Trying to use something that the government would sit there and go, yeah, he needs to die. The whole reason that they want him to die is because they hate him. The Bible says that Pilate saw that they were jealous. So he says, you know, I don't, he hasn't done anything worthy of death, so I'll just have him flogged. So they take Jesus, and this is what flogging is. Picture a vertical beam. And they would take Jesus and completely strip him naked. And they would take leather strips and tie his wrists together and then tie him to the, the top part of the beam so his back is can completely exposed. And then you have two Roman guards, one on each side, each of them having what's called the cat of nine tails. So picture a stick about 18 inches in length and then leather strips tied at the end of one of those ends. And tied at the, end of, at the ends of those strips of leather are is pieces of glass and razor and bone, and sharp rock. Guys, it becomes a claw. It's not just a whipping. It's a mutilation. And 39 times, from his neck to his calves. Why 39 times? Because too many people died at 40, so they brought it back one. Guys, one, one guard would come across his back as hard as they could and then switch the angle and pull it as hard as they could and tear open his back and flesh just being ripped open 39 times and Jesus is just taking it. Can you imagine after 39 times they untie his wrist and can you imagine as he collapses to the ground and, and blood is just pouring out and then guards come over and they pick him up and they found this, this robe, this purple robe, and they put it on him. Then they find these thorns and then they make a crown out of it. And they put it into his head. And the Bible says that when they did that, to make sure it stayed put, a Roman guard came up with a staff and smacked it across his skull so it just smashed into it. They would blindfold him. They would hit him with staffs. They'd beat the crud out of him. And they'd say, prophesy who hits you. And then they, then they take the blindfold off. And before five or 600 Roman guards, all these guards start mocking him. Here's the creator of the universe standing there being mocked, hearing, all hail, king of the Jews. All hail, king of the Jews. And he just took it. They bring him back before Pilate. He's like, okay, you know, it's during this time I usually release one, one prisoner. This time of year I always release one. So here's the thing. You can have Jesus or you can have Barabbas. You have Jesus or the murderer. Can you imagine? I mean, this is like a church softball pitch. This should be easy. Can you imagine Pilate listening as the people say, Barabbas, give us, Bar give us Barabbas. Can you imagine Barabbas going, what? And Jesus standing here saying, nothing. And they have Pilate go, what do you want me to do with him? And the chant starts, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him, 
crucified. It gets louder and louder and louder. And he's just looking at this crowd, this same crowd that less than a week before, when Jesus was riding in on the colt of a donkey, they're saying, Hosanna. Guys, you know what the word Hosanna means? It's not praise the Lord. Hosanna means save now. They believe that when Jesus was riding in on the colt of a donkey, that they're believing him to be the Messiah that they've been waiting for, going, save now, save now, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And less than a week later, they're screaming for him to be killed. You ever felt like the whole world's against you? Jesus gets it. So Pilate signs the edict. And then he washes his hands in front of them as this sign. It's like, hey, his blood is now on you. And they say, not just on us, but on our children as well. Having no clue they were speaking prophetically. They took the robe off of Jesus and placed his clothes back on him, but kept the crown. Then they take the crossbeam of the cross, not the whole cross, just the crossbeam. That a lot of scholars say weighs between 70 to 120 pounds. So imagine being up all night, beaten, slapped around, going through the flogging, being smacked around, hit with sticks, hit with staffs in the head. I mean, blood is pouring, eyes are swollen, and then they stick, a, they stick 120 pounds on your shoulders, and then Jesus just embraces it and starts his walk of 600 yards. They didn't have to push him. They didn't have to prod him. He walked. What they had to do was make a way in the crowd. Why? Because the crowd starts to move in on him. Someone break through the Roman guards and pull parts of his beard out, smack him, spit on him. And yet he kept walking. Why? Because in a garden he prayed, Father, I want those that you have given to me to be with me where I am and to see me in all of my glory. And he took step after step after step until he couldn't do it anymore. And can you imagine, maybe he trips and he can't pull himself up because his arms are up. And he hits the ground and 120 pounds lands straight on his back. He can't get up. So a Roman guard finds a guy named Simon, not Simon Peter, a different one. He says, get over here, pick this up. He's like, I can't, can't do that. He's like, pick it up. So Simon picks it up and, and I wonder if as he's holding it, maybe what if he started to help Jesus up? It doesn't say in the passage, but what if he did? And what if as Jesus is climbing up, he looks at the guy and what if he whispers, I want him to be with me? And Simon takes the crossbeam and starts to walk, and Jesus is walking. And they come to a place called Golgotha. They would take the crossbeam and attach it to the vertical beam. Then they would take Jesus, completely strip him naked, lay him across the cross. They would take one arm and completely stretch it out as far as they could and take a railroad spike and drive it between the two bones that are in his wrist. And then they would take the other arm and stretch out as far as they could and drive a railroad spike between the two bones in that wrist. Then they would take one foot, place it over the other, and bend up his knees. They'd drive a spike through both. Guys, the Bible says that while this is happening, do you know what Jesus is praying? He's praying this, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. 
And we think, well, he only said it once, and so it's written down once, so that must be what he did, and that's how, that's how it happened. Guys, the way that it's written in the, in the original language means that Jesus kept crying it out, kept screaming it, Father, Father, forgive them, forgive them. They don't know. They don't know what they're doing. Forgive them. He just kept screaming out for the forgiveness of those who were crucifying him while they were doing it. For God so loved the world then they would take the cross and they would raise it to vertical. And when it got close to vertical, all of a sudden gravity would begin to pull down on the body of its creator. Gravity became too strong for the creator, Jesus. And because gravity would pull his body down, his shoulders would dislocate, his elbows would dislocate. And he'd be left there. Guys, people didn't die on a cross because they bled too much. Normally people died on a cross because they couldn't breathe. See, when you hang down, you can inhale, but in order to exhale, or in order to speak, which is why you don't see Jesus say a lot from the cross. But in order to exhale, he'd have to pull up on the spikes in his wrist and push up on the spike in his feet. In order to exhale, and it wouldn't be these long breaths. It'd be these short breaths just, for six hours, 9 a.m., he's attached to the cross. And guys, I still don't think that's why he sweat drops of blood. Has anyone here ever been accused of something you didn't do? You were, you were innocent of? Jesus gets it. He understands it. I don't think that's why he sweat drops some blood, though, friends. At about noon, it says the sky went dark like midnight. Some time passed, and all of a sudden, Jesus is able to get these words out, where he says, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means this, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Guys, when you read Jesus and when he prays in the New Testament, when you see him pray in the gospel accounts, every single time he addresses God, he addresses him as Father. But not here. In the garden, he called him Father. While he's being attached to the cross, he calls him Father. But not here. And I know I've read scholars, I've read commentaries that say, well, he did that so people would think of Psalm 24. I think it's 24. I'm like, really think that's what he's thinking? Or was Psalm 24 describing what he's going to endure. Guys, that's my conviction that at that moment, Jesus became what's called the propitiation, that he became the target, the new target of the full and complete wrath of God for the sin of every single person who had lived before, was alive in that moment, and for all of us to follow. The, the weight of the sin of the world was placed on Jesus. And the father poured his wrath out on his son. Friends, if you want proof that God hates sin, you look at the cross. That's why I think he sweat drops of blood. Guys, we think of the agony of Jesus. Have you ever thought about the agony of the father? Can you imagine the father pouring his wrath out on the son? Can you imagine the Holy Spirit's like all this agony 
this break in intimacy between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's like, we've never experienced this. Can you imagine what they're going through? Can you imagine angelic beings watching this happen? Can you imagine Art Michael the archangel going, just send me, Father, send me. Send me, I'll destroy every single one of them. I gotta defend the Son. Angels, guys, heaven didn't understand it. That's my conviction. That's why I think he sweat drops of blood. Why have you forsaken me? Friends, do you realize that Jesus was forsaken so that we would never have to be? It wasn't too long after that where all of a sudden he knows his body is about done. He can tell his heart is just pumping, trying to find any ounce of blood left in it. And the Bible says that, he says, Father, isn't it weird? He just got done saying, my God, my God. And then that same one's like, why have you forsaken me? Then he goes to this prayer, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then he screams these words, it is finished. He just screams that out, guys. I think, it's, I think the universe shook. There was so much weight in those three words. But guys, literally, do you know what Jesus literally said when the cross, when he says, it is finished? Guys, he used a banker's term. It's a banker's term when he said, paid in full. It's been paid in full. All the Old Testament sacrifices that were prescribed in the book of Leviticus, they were all pointed to Jesus that he would be the ultimate lamb of God who comes and takes away the sin of the world. Guys, do you realize that even in the Old Testament, there was a sacrifice that was supposed to be presented at about 9 a.m. and then the other one at 3 p.m. Isn't it amazing that Jesus took a cross at nine and when he says, it is finished, he breathed his last at about three. The creator of the universe died Guys, I used to leave it right there. Make kids feel all guilty. Call kids to commit. They'd have, I remember doing it at a camp. I'd make them come forward because then it kind of felt like I was a big deal. Like, they are surround me. And there was this kid there that was there. Uh, and I just, he, had, he was on my heart the whole time. I knew he didn't know the Lord. I'd been praying for him. And when I called kids to commit, he, he kind of did that jerk. He's like, oh. And I was like, oh, I almost got him. And then all of a sudden he comes forward and I'm like, yeah, but be cool because you're the pastor. You see this thing all the time. The next day he walks up. He goes, Brian, did you see him? I said, I did. Man, congratulations. He goes, can I ask you a question? I was like, sure. He goes, what happened next? I'm like, you little brat. He's like, why weren't you listening? I'm like, what happened next? Oh. Then I realized I left Jesus on the cross. I never told him the best part. Guys, the cross was gruesome, but without the resurrection, none of it matters. The most pivotal, most important event in all of human history, you know what it was? The resurrection of Jesus. Guys, you realize that Jesus predicted Easter. He said, this is what's gonna happen. I'm gonna be handed over, I'm gonna be tortured and whipped, I'm gonna be beaten, I'm gonna be attached to a cross, I'm gonna die, don't worry, I'm gonna come back from the dead. Third day, I'm going to come back. 
Some of you said, I just can't believe that. Can I just encourage you to say, I don't believe that. You're in great company because none of the disciples believed it either. You know how I know? Because none of them were waiting at the tomb on Sunday, holding signs and balloons. <laughs> they didn't do a countdown. They're not like, 10, 9, man, we feel that this is it. Game time. 7, 6, come on, come on. No one's there. In fact, the women who went there to prepare his body for burial weren't thinking he'd be alive. Friends, he died. And then Jesus kicked death in the face and came back from the dead. And in that moment, he has, he got, and he, he owns hell. He owns the keys to death. It's his. He saved us. Guys, he's victorious. So when I stand before him, one day, my body will die. And I'll be in the presence of the Lord. Death can't hold me. Why? Because it couldn't handle him. He has the keys to death. Friends, he beat up sin and death. He took the wrath of God. Why? To have us back. You have never known anyone on the planet who has ever or will ever love you like that. And when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. When the Bible says, hey, the wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Brian, what happens if I don't want Jesus? Then you will stand before the creator of the universe and you'll have to answer for your own sin. I don't want to surrender to him. Then you will be separated from God for eternity in hell. Like, oh, I don't like that part of the Bible. I don't either. I didn't make it up. But could I ask you a question? What else what else do you think that God needs to do to prove to you that he loves you and wants you? You're just trying to scare us into it. I couldn't if I wanted to. All I'm trying to do is just tell you the truth. I told you that the first night. I made a commitment. I'll tell you the truth as lovingly as I can. But for those of you who surrender to Jesus, you know the best part about surrendering to Jesus? Heaven's gonna be rad. The best part about surrendering to Jesus is Jesus. It's him. You get him. You get to be with him. But friends, there's no forgiveness without him. See, Brian, there's a lot of religions. What are you saying about them? They're wrong. Every other old religion do enough good things to get to God. This is the only one where God says, I did it. It's done. I paid in full. Guys, what else can he do? So here's what we're going to do. Guys, I want to make sure you understand, you are not saved by any work. And so when I ask if you want to stand up, if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, this isn't like you've done it before, but I want to do it again. No, no, we'll get to that in a second. But you've never surrendered to Christ. In just a moment, I'm going to ask if you want to, to stand up, but that standing up doesn't save you. What does is this, when you confess that Jesus is Lord the word confess means to say something in such a way that your life will follow your declaration. And the word Lord means master. It's not just repeat a prayer. It's not just raise a hand. It's I surrender to the lordship of Jesus. You, you accept the invitation. He says, follow me. And when you say, yes, I want to, and you're my Lord, he's like, then here's the gift of salvation. He gives it to you. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to stand up, though. 
But if you made a decision to surrender to Jesus before tonight, or if tonight you're saying, I want to surrender to him. I didn't know he did that. I want to be right with God. And with everyone watching, every head up, every eye open, you don't have to bow your heads, close your eyes. I don't, I don't know why we do that. I don't think that, the angels are like, why do they do that? Father's like, I never told him to. I don't know. <laughs> this is the best decision ever. They put the heads down, eyes shut. All of heaven has a party. They crack open some guacamole, and we're sitting like this. <laughs> so with every head up and every eye open, for those of you that already know the Lord, you know what you should do here? You should pray. But for those of you who have never surrendered your life to Christ, you've never surrendered to him as Lord, and tonight you want to make it known that you are surrendering to him, knowing you are not standing to be saved, but you want to, you want to mark down that on February 12th, 2023, I remember when I stood up in Ponderosa Chapel, and that's when I, I surrendered to Jesus. I want to remember that moment. So knowing that standing doesn't save you, but confessing the lordship of Jesus, believing that he died on the cross, came back from the dead, and placing your faith and trust in him. If you would let us know so we can celebrate with you, if you are surrendering or have surrendered since you've been here to the lordship of Jesus, would you stand up? Stay up, stay up. Don't sit down yet. Stay up. <laughs> youth pastors and youth workers, Hume staff members, isn't this why you do it? To see someone pass from death to life. For those of you who are standing up, I just have two questions for you by standing up. Are you telling us that you are confessing that Jesus is now master of your life? There you go. I think I need to hear somebody. Thank you. Say it out loud. And then by, the, by standing up, are you saying that you believe that he died on a cross and came back from the dead and you want to follow him? Then welcome to the family. You have a seat. As the worship team comes out, guys, we're going to do one song. As the worship team comes out, some of you, you need to make some things right. Like maybe you declared Jesus as Lord at some point. It's like, oh, I'm about Jesus, but you haven't been. It's like, I'm all about heaven, but you smell like hell. Like, you need to come back. <laughs> like, think through it. When you call yourself a Christ follower, but you're not following then how can you keep that name? But some of you, you've wandered off and sin is ravaging your life. And all the while, Jesus is saying, come back. This isn't to get saved again. This is come back. Like, get away from that. Come back to Jesus. Or maybe some of you, you're just broken. That thing I asked, the hardest thing you've ever gone through, you're going through it. You're just broken. You're just like, God, would you help me? God, please, if you're in one of those two camps, I know, and it's humbling, I get it, but if you're in one of those two camps, you got to come back to Jesus, you're just like, i got to cry out, God, I don't know how to, much longer I can do this, would you please help, if you're in one of those two camps, would you stand up? Okay. Thank you for being honest. 
for those of you that stood up and you're repenting, do me a favor before you go to sleep as a cabin, read the second half of Luke 15 and watch the response of the Father. That's all I'm going to say. Luke 15, second half, just watch the response of the Father when the Son repents. Oh, it's awesome. Guys, can I pray? We're going to go back into singing. And after that, I don't know who's closing, but they'll come up and explain what you're going to do. But this is a time where you can just kind of be. Like you, if you made a decision for Jesus, stay. Whether it's repentance or unbroken or you gave your life to Christ as Lord, then just stick around. And for those that didn't, guys, there's just all we ask, guys, please, you can handle this. You will get up quietly when it's time to go quietly. In respect of those who are sticking around, you can do this. And you'll just go out in a discipline of silence. Does that make sense? But we're going to worship. Shouldn't we worship after a person comes to Jesus? We had a whole bunch come to Jesus. And those of you who stood up, you're broken in repentance. Shouldn't you engage? Like the first, just cry out to God. It's like, I just want to worship you, even though nothing's changed. Because I know, but God. Father, thank you. Thank you that you drew people to Jesus. And Holy Spirit, we thank you that you convicted and brought them to a place where they would surrender to the Lordship of Jesus. And I pray that you would remind them their identity has changed. They're a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. And they are considered a son or daughter of the king. Oh, God, that never gets old. So, God, as we worship you, and in all that you've done and all that you'll continue to do, to you be all the praise all the glory and all the honor for you alone are worthy. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all of Christ's followers say, amen. amen. Love you all more than you know.